0: Hello and welcome to One For The Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys, and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe, and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One For The Road is Dan O'Reilly, aka Dapper Laughs. He's one of the UK's largest influences. He's a comedian, musician, actor, and viral video star. Since starting his journey of sobriety, he has set up an incredible Facebook group called Men and Their Emotions. And he has also an amazing podcast called Menace to Sobriety, which I was recently a guest on. This is a great episode and a cheeky little heads up. The language gets a bit fruity. Thanks again for listening to the short ads at the beginning of each episode. This allows me to continue to produce the episodes you enjoy. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to hit the follow button and leave a review. So, mate, welcome down to my podcast, One for the Road. Um, I was going to ask how you are today, but you've already told me you've been up with the larks and you've been out to the boxing gym. You've been sparring. You're on it, mate.
1: Yeah, mate. So, yeah, 4.30, start, out the door at five, get to get to the boxing gym back, quarter past five, and then, yeah, good seven rounds this morning. Amazing. Uh, and look, my face is all right, mate. I'm moving now. I'm moving. So. <laughs> You're
0: bobbing and weaving, ducking <laughs> and, and diving, weaving, mate.
1: But, yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely just, I like, I like to just push myself as hard as I can first thing in the morning so the rest of the day feels easy. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was up early as well. Um, but I wasn't boxing, mate. I was sitting there crying because my dog woke me up at quarter to four howling. It's almost like there was a poltergeist in the bedroom. There's nothing there. She was just howling, you know. So I don't know what that was. But anyway, mate, I met you the other day actually. I came to London, didn't I? And I appeared on your podcast. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed that. It was really good to meet you. Um obviously you've been a legend in my eyes for a long time, but also in my son. He's 29, and uh, the lad that I worked for. When I told them that I was meeting you, they're like, "No way! I've got to come with you, Dad." And it's like,
1: "Wow, I'm having him to myself." I really appreciate that. Yeah, I've been around a long, a long, long time. Um, I was one of the first sort of social media influencers. So, yeah. I heard actually that um, you was one of the first people ever
0: to get a million followers on Facebook.
1: That's right, mate. Yeah. Facebook pages where you have a you have a page for like a comedian or something, um, hadn't really been they hadn't started they were only for corporations for businesses. So at at the time I was on I was on Vine I was making vines and somebody else actually made a fan page for me. Over in America, uh, and it got like 15,000 followers on it. And someone messaged me and said, have a look at it. And I was watching this fan page. They were posting all my content, but they weren't posting it and doing the right captions and stuff. It got up to about 50,000 followers. And I contacted the woman and I said, look, I'll give you some free tickets and, uh, you know, whatever else you need. And I'll give you some free tickets to a show or something and fly you over if you give me the page and let me manage it. And she did. She gave it to me. And, um, yeah, by the time I hit a million followers, the only other Facebook pages that had a million followers at the time were Facebook's Facebook page. And I think it was Disney or Sony or something yeah. like that. Um, so I was the first, like, comedian. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was everywhere at that point, uh, for Facebook, yeah, everywhere, yeah.
0: Uh, and you, you're you still young, mate. Well, compared to me, everyone's young. But, you know, but I, as people know, I'm nosy, and I like to wind it back. And I'd love to know about um what it was like for you growing up and, and what got you into comedy, really.
1: All right, cool. Well, um, I now know that I suffered really badly with ADHD. I didn't know at the time, but uh, it all makes sense to me now, but I could never concentrate in class at all. And, um, uh, I come from a broken, a broken home at a young age. My mum and dad had a really bad sort of breakup. Um, I didn't see my dad for a long time. I was quite, you know, I, we lived on a council estate and I was, Sort of a bit rogue. Do you know what I mean? I went out and me and my, me and my boys, we were, we were naughty and we used to get up to all sorts of trouble. And I was the same in school. I couldn't really concentrate very much, but I loved performing. I loved, um, I started acting from a young age and doing performing arts and musical theater and stuff like that. Like I really loved performing. Um, so from when I was about eight, nine years old, dance, acting and all of that stuff. Um, and I couldn't concentrate on anything else in in school really. So I got expelled. From, uh, my secondary school when I was about 14, I think I got expelled, chucked out, had to find a new school. Um, and yeah, and, and I managed somehow to get some GCSEs, but I mean, I wasn't, I was real troublesome. I was in trouble with the police. I was in, you know, I was out drinking and going wild. And also in school, I was, I was just a class clown, but I used to do mad stuff. And then, um, I managed to get a few GCSEs enough to get me into, um, I was sort of buckled down in the last year. I panicked and I managed to get some GCSEs and I went to performing arts school and, uh, and I was studying to be an actor and, uh, but I couldn't get no jobs. I was, I was auditioning throughout this whole time, auditioned for everything, Grain Hill, uh, EastEnders, um, loads of stuff and, um, couldn't really, couldn't get anything. Um, I got a few little things, but nothing, nothing that set me on my way. And then I discovered stand up comedy when I was at college. Uh, I mean, I always knew about it, but I really discovered it. And Lee Evans was massive at the time. And what it was, we was at someone's house, um, having a party and everyone was drinking and they had it playing. And, um, I just sat in front of the TV and I watched him for the first time. Then I got all his DVDs and I became obsessed with how he could act out his jokes. And that's what really gripped me. Not, not so much the joke writing and the, and the comedy part of it, but how he'd tell a story while playing both parts of the 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 story and I really loved that sort of expression of comedy being able to visually become the characters within a story um and yeah i had done my first I, I'd done my first open mic gig um when I was about 16 or 17 and then I was then I was hooked but my mum moved away when I was really young when I was 15 she moved to Cornwall and I didn't I couldn't I, I only just started seeing my dad again my mum moved all the way to Cornwall so I worked at a go-kart track uh in the day and I, I rented this little this house off my uncle um and there was years of just getting pissed and being a lad and fucking living the dream and all that stuff and looking back on it a lot of people say oh didn't you feel abandoned by your mum and stuff like that but no you know I was 15 16 I loved it and um yeah, man, and, and uh I become an estate agent. So I was working as an estate agent, but I got to I got only got to about to about 17 or 18, 18 years old of, of having a proper job. And I thought, no, this ain't what I want to do. I'm meant to be performing, I'm meant to be an actor. So I've got a gig over in Cyprus, working in the holiday parks in Cyprus. Uh, doing hotel entertainment. So I was doing like the game shows, being a game show host and doing stand-up comedy. And then someone spotted me and I went away and worked on the cruise ships. Um, for, for about four or five years, I traveled the world on the cruise ships. Oh, so have, like, yeah. About small independent cruise ships.
0: Yeah.
1: Done some world cruises. And then I worked my way up on there and became a professional comedian on, on the cruise ships. And then I was flying on and off the Royal Caribbean ones. So I was really young still. I was about 24, yeah. 25 Um and then I come back and my views had changed a little bit. I wanted to make money then. So I come back and I opened an estate agency and i had done that for a few years, but a bug was still there. And, and then I discovered Vine and the rest is history, mate.
0: Well, that's a lot at a young age, isn't it? Um, and goes to show that when you put your mind to things, you're capable, you know, to go on cruise ships and do all that at a young age. Um, did you meet Jane McDonald? Um, no, no. <laughs> I was no. going to say to just sleep with her, but I thought that I would probably might, would have tried I back.
1: I would have tried back then. No
0: yeah. doubt. And what was your boozing like back then? Because
1: you're on the cruise ship, it's a different kind of audience, right? Was it like uh, old older people? Yeah, families. It's family, so it was it was really tricky to do comedy on. Well, actually, I didn't know any different. I didn't yeah. know any different. I, I I actually only started doing sort of really controversial, risky stuff when I come back off the cruise ship. So I didn't really know any different. Um, it was like innuendo slapstick comedy, but it was a different beast. But I loved it. It was big shows. It was girls with feathers coming out, massive intros, lights. And that's what I was. I was a showman. I was like, I was into musical theater. So I liked all the big, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and all of this stuff. Um, and the game shows, I was brilliant at the game shows. I I, I don't know anyone. I mean, I crossed, come across a lot of hosts and there was no one that was as quick and as funny on the spot in the game shows as me. So I really felt like I was. I think the good thing about that stint there is I, I was like a big fish in a small pond and I was, I already knew that I was talented. Do you know what I mean? I knew that I was supposed to be there and I was talented when it comes to performing and comedy. But yeah, going back to the drinking, my whole life has been as uh, focused around drinking. You know, when my mum moved away when I was 15, it was piss ups every weekend, big piss ups. Every, that's the whole, that was the whole thing. And when I went away to Cyprus again, it was carnage in between acting and on the cruise ships, every night, every, there was no weekends on the cruise ships. It was like every day you were in a different part of the world. So, you know, for a good four or five years, solid, like four months on, a couple of months off. Uh, and even when I was off, I was celebrating being home with the people that I was seeing at home. Do you know what I mean? But every day, you know, every day we were in a different port. So you were exploring different places, different bars and in the crew bar at night. So, yeah, I was drinking heavily through my 20s.
0: Yeah, yeah, and but I imagine when you come back and saw your mates again, you'd kind of learnt your trade on the cruise ships and that. And did you then think, right, I, I need to do something different? But I, I imagine you did a right
1: jolly up when you come back, right? All the time, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I come back and I was excited to see everyone. So yeah, it's up. So, I, I, honestly, for my twenties. Oh, well, up until up until up and well up until like four months ago. I mean, I had a bit of a break last year when I went sober the first time, but before that, I was—I think—I've been pissed, pissed or drinking every single weekend for the last twenty-five years or twenty years. Yeah, it's intense, you know. Um, but it was never an issue. It was never a problem until. I don't know. It was, I guess it was, it's never drinking for me was never a problem until I started to think that I didn't want to do it or it was affecting me badly or t- till, till the blinkers come off and I was like, oh, the reason why I'm being an arsehole is because I'm fucking hungover or I'm drunk, you know? Um, and then when the ultimatums come, you know, you know, and a big, a big thing for me about drinking is, I'm terribly insecure anyway. Like, I think I've got a form of, like, imposter syndrome. It's very difficult for me to accept because of everything I've been through with my career and my family. It's difficult sometimes for me to accept that things are all right and things are going to be all right. And I used to have this self-destruct button, when, especially when I was, like, the day after drinking or when I come down from the drugs, where if I was getting shit from my missus, I'd be like, well, this is shit anyway, and it was never going to work. It was all going to go wrong. And I could turn into a real horrible twat, do you know what I mean, where I'd be like – Fuck you, fuck this, and you know when big things happened in my life, like the the, both the births of both of my children. When I went out and wet the baby's head, I mean it went insane. Then when 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 she complained, I would kick back, and it wasn't until she'd, I mean, I pushed my my wife so far, you know, by do by by being rude and just doing the same thing every weekend and have a complete disregard and coming because. Especially when I started making loads of money and we moved into a big house. I was like, shut up, man. What the fuck? What's your problem? Look at, look around you. Look what we got from look me. What, yeah. Look, look what I've done. Let me go. Yeah. And get Where she didn't want any of this. She just wanted, she wanted, she was, she was, she was on her own, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, I didn't realize I had a problem until I realized that, that the drinking was causing my behavior. And then when I tried to stop, or calm it down, I realised how it was fucking ingrained into every aspect of my life, and um, that it weren't going to be easy. And and that's scary.
0: It is, mate. And, and you had some real ups and downs in your career, didn't you? Because you were flying at, at um, one stage, and you got your TV show, uh, and then that went wrong. And where you had, like, everything, you lost it, didn't you?
1: Yeah.
0: I bet that was a big, big... Uh,
1: Part of your yeah uh, it was it was very surreal, um I think like when they when they when you when you you know my mum and my mum and dad went for a, a, a terrible breakup, my old man was quite violent and um that I don't remember any of that um from from being a child, but the same similar stuff around the time of when everything happened it's such a blur to me, um and I think that that's partly because it was quite traumatic, you know seeing everything unravel around you but also because i was i was drunk man i mean i was i i, I was drunk but it um when it was happening it was just happening and I was like, right, this is happening. You know, the, the, you know, the, the, the press started kicking off at me, the petition started, you know, the petition got big 60,000 people. That became a real thing. And then like we were teetering on, is ITV going to cancel my show? And then they come out and publicly, they didn't even contact me, just publicly canceled the show. Then the, 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 the charities that I was raising money for publicly said they didn't want them the money. And then slowly, like, you know, all the, all, all the, the tour that I had, I'd sold out like fucking 15 dates. They had the venue started pulling, then the whole tour pulled. And then the fucking, my, and then my managers called me in for a meeting with them and said that the other artists on the roster, um, are complaining. Then my manager pulled, um, and then, uh, a load of money in my account I had to go back for like advances that I'd had. Um, and then there was a small period, maybe of about two or three months where. I didn't really know what was going on, but the the press were hounding, 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 like press, press, articles, articles, hounding my family, going to my mum's work, going, like, you know what I mean? My mum, my family were ringing me, what's, you know, and then, um, Newsnight, because I just wanted it to stop. So I got on Newsnight and done that interview. And then, um, and then my father died shortly, like weeks, a matter of weeks after that. And, and then it was the way my father died was, was brutal because the whole, the whole way through this, um, it, I, he was supporting me do you know what I mean and he was saying things like everyone else was like oh fuck man like it's, this is well bad and everyone was like "Shit's it's over are you embarrassed oh fuck man like or some people were just like gone you know like didn't even want to have nothing to do with me and I was going out going out like with my missus and my mates mates and their missus and you can see the women were funny it was I felt like a, I felt like a rapist man could yeah, do rape yeah. joke? it was yeah, it was yeah. But when my father passed away, he, um, you know, he, he, he was the only one that had an attitude like, who the fuck gave you a TV show anyway? They're mental. Do you know what I mean? Like you bragged it. Look at everything you achieved in such a small amount of time. If they, if they're going to do that to you, then fuck it. They can't still take away what you achieved. Like you're a talent and fuck it. It's their fault for giving you a TV show. You're an utter, you know, he was trying to be funny with it. Um, and then he just had a stroke, man. And I, I managed to get over and speak to him and. Um, before he passed away, but ultimately I had to make the choice as well because my mum and my, my brother couldn't, um, uh, make the choice to turn his machine off. Um, so I made that choice and I've never really spoken to my brother since, which is hard. In fact, we don't talk. Uh, but that, that, in that period of time after that was, that was dark. That was a year of heavy drug use. And um, and it sort of culminated in a in a in a like suicidal thoughts, and you know, because uh, I broke up with my missus when my missus told me she was pregnant, because she told me she was pregnant a matter of days after my father died, because it was fucking hard, man. She told me she had polycystic ovaries. Well, she did have polycystic ovaries, so we were told we couldn't have kids. Um, and two days after my father passed away, she said she's pregnant, and then shortly after that, and I, I regret it to the day I die, but I I sort of knew that I was. Um, i i had thought to myself i mean i'd almost given up when i'd lost everything but when my dad died i was like if that's how you want to be i'm not gonna have any respect for life now at all yeah, like, I've yeah tried. lost
0: the plot yeah yeah
1: i've tried so i had a, I, I, what little money i had in the bank left i just spunked and i knew that was going to be the way and i knew that all i wanted to do was drink and do drugs so i broke up with her which was terrible um and uh yeah one night i ended up calling the samaritans when i was considering uh suicide and um spoke to them, and then I'd like to say I pulled my act together from the drink and drugs, but I didn't, but I stopped self-sabotaging and got back with my missus, and, try, uh, you know, the usage and everything sort of calmed down a little bit, and I got into the role of being a father or, or preparing to be a father, and then I battled with the drink and drugs and being a father for, for years, do you know what I mean, until I finally realised I couldn't do it.
0: That's some story, mate. Honestly, that's that's horrendous, what you had to go through there. And that that whole cancel culture there, yeah, I I know that happened, but it's how you deal with it after. And and a lot of us as well, blokes in the lag culture, it's like, I'm on it now. There's nothing left for me. And it is that self-sabotage, isn't it? But it's really interesting that you got to a point that you've called the Samaritans as well. Was you at a real, real low or was you really concerned about um, whether you would take your life or not?
1: I was, um, I think I've I've been there a few times, do you know what I mean? Where the cocaine has made me just fucking fall apart. Do you know what I mean? Where the, the excessive usage of it, the, the mixed with problems of whatever was going on, where it's like just sobbing and, and like crying and despair and not seeing, you know, like, panic like panic like panic like and um on that particular night i was thinking about uh you know maybe it'd be easier if i just killed myself and i was thinking about i actually thought about slitting my wrist but the geezer's house i was saying and he just had new white carpet so i was contemplating i was i was going yeah i was going through that i don't know if i was serious but i was the point is i was thinking if i was going to kill myself how would i do it and i just think i just checked myself where i was like Right. You know, cause I'm an, int- I, I like to think I'm an intelligent person and I like, right, this, however I'm feeling is being, is being amplified by these drugs. You know, I'm in no fit state. I was horrifically, but I was confused and I just thought, and you know, you hear all that stuff, you know, talk to someone, talk to someone, you know, and all that stuff. So I think I just wanted some answers or reassurance. I don't think I was ever going to, I don't think I'd ever kill myself ever. It's not something I think was real for me. I think it was thoughts. And the fact that there were thoughts there I thought now it's time to talk to myself, and I just wanted—I wanted some answers. Or I, I think—I think what it was was I was crying, I was upset, and I wanted to tell someone how I felt um, and reach out to someone, but I couldn't to my missus because we would broke up, and there was no way I was putting that onto my mum. I didn't yeah. want to put that onto my mum, you know, especially with the drug use and everything. She didn't know about it then, and um, uh, m- my close friends—they—they're just not. That that's not the vibe, do you know what I mean? Uh, which which I, that's why I think the Samaritans is so, you know, these helplines are so important because a kind, warm voice answered the phone, and uh, and uh, and I don't think she hardly even said anything, mate. She she may have said a few things, prompted a few things, but I just bled my heart out for forty five minutes. Um, and like I said, it's not like I turned some massive corner. I just everything didn't seem as bad.
0: You shared it, mate, uh, and and that's what therapy counseling is all about—is is, is uh, having someone to listen to you. Do you know what I mean? And that I think for you, mate, it was a bit of a warning sign of like, oh, I'm really, really in the shit here, you know. And uh, somewhere you got yourself out of it by making that call. Because after that,
1: did you kind of like change or or yeah, I was- think. I think like from, like, I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't me versus the world after that. Do you know what I mean? Like after like I was, I was sort of like, fuck, like the, being a dad, fuck my career. Like, fuck you. Like once my dad died, I was just like, I don't give a shit really. I, I, if I'm, if you, if, if this is how everyone's portraying me now, you're going to treat me this way I'm going to be. And I was going out, I was drinking, I was doing drugs. I, did, I was being rude to people. I didn't give a fuck um but after that my attitude changed it was you know my my drug use and alcohol use went back to probably being a fun thing instead of being a uh, instead of being like a coping mechanism i mean it must have still been coping mechanism but yeah um, yeah yeah i wasn't sitting on my own doing it i was out with my pals but my attitude turned to Right, let's have another crack at this then. Let's, you know, let's have another crack at this. You've got, you, you know, just, you know, what do I, what do I need to do? I need to get, she's going to have a baby. I need to get us a fucking house. Well, I need to get her back first. I need to get her back. Then I need to get us a house. Then I need to, you know, so just like everything else in my life, I just laid it out and, and put my head down and started working towards, working towards it.
0: But you know what's interesting, Dan, is all that, um, attitude. And I've been there, that self-sabotage is like, fuck the world, fuck me, fuck everything. It's actually fuck me. You don't care about yourself. And and that's the difference, you know, because you lost everything up to then. It's like, there's nothing you're not. And and when you made that call to the Samaritans, that was, that was, um, I need to save myself here. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. um, Yeah. When people press the fuck it button, I always say it's not the fuck it button; it's the fuck me button because you, you don't care about yourself enough to.
1: Yeah, and I think, I, th- I think that this is the problem with men and uh, uh, with men, and it's like it take it takes so long to get to a stage of you know, like it, I'm still learning learning it now, obviously, but it. It takes so long to get to the stage without drinking drugs to get to the stage where you're like, oh, I feel alright. Like I feel alright, and like I, I don't need that to feel. I don't need another feeling to feel alright. But when you're when you're in the midst of years and years of going, oh mate, I, 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 I can't fucking handle this. Give me a fucking drink. Give me some fucking drugs. And then you're like. Whoa and then you're like, oh, fuck. And you're like that for a couple of days, and you're like, you know what will make me feel better? Give me yeah, it, more. Yeah, it's so hard to, like, because I'll tell you what, I didn't want to go sober, mate. I'm sure everyone's the same. I didn't, you know, last year when I went sober, it was the shittiest six months of my life. And I was like, <laughs> I was telling everyone, like, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, it's cool. And like, I was doing it for the, for the uh, to prove a point to my missus, and I was doing it. To to show everyone I didn't have a problem, and then when I felt like I'd done it long enough, I was like, "Well, Christmas is coming. I'm going to go back. I'm going to have a couple of fucking drinks." And the next thing, Wah! yeah, oh,
0: fuck
1: you fuck you, and fuck it doesn't
0: take long, mate, does it? It's no, literally no, almost quicker. instant.
1: Yeah, it was quicker the second time the, the yeah. first I first done it. But the, the hard thing about that is, and also the, the the well, the hard reality of that is, when shit got worse with me and my wife. After all that, I mean, I'd given her a taste of what life could be like. You know what I mean? And then bang, yeah. he's an arsehole again. And it's fucking yeah. bad. And also I'm, and, and, and this, now this is accelerating through the most fucking happy period of our, what was meant to be the most happy period of our life, our wedding and all that. Um, that it was like fucking here we go. Right. You have to stop because you are going to fucking lose. You, you can't drink anymore. It turns your head mental. The drugs turn you mental and you become selfish. You can't drink anymore. And like making that choice. What do you want out of life? A family or to go out on the fucking piss. Um, And then get, you just, you know, anyone that's listening to this, it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. But you, after about a month for six weeks, maybe when you start feeling the first bit of benefit of sobriety, if you can get to that point, uh, I think that, you you, you you know, you've got a chance, but you've got to give yourself two months maybe and to really start feeling the benefits. Because now I'm like, why would I go back to that?
0: Yeah. But the thing is, Dan, you went back to it after six months before, right? But yeah. I, I look at that like an apprenticeship because it's not a, um, a failure. It, you can learn from that. And, like, how did your mates then – react to you not drinking because that was a big part of your friendship, wasn't it? And and I've been there with all the lads, you know, like, and, and when was I stopped, it, a lot of them didn't
1: no, believe like, it. It wasn't good, man. I mean, it was like, but look, I can't blame, I can't blame my mates for trying to, cause they did pull me back in. They said, you fucking, you ain't going to do your stag do sober, are you? You ain't coming out at Christmas. Oh, yeah. fuck you yeah. But listen, But I can't blame them for that because they don't live in my house. Mm. They only saw party, Dan. Do you know what I mean? They, they, like, I can't, you can't, I can't blame them for that because they, most of them can go out and have a few drinks and they're not coming back and destroying their fucking relationship with their wife or, or neglecting their children or, or being a fucking arse or having emotional breakdowns every time they do cocaine, you know? So how can they comprehend what I'm going through? They can't, they just, they, they probably just think I'm doing it for clout online or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or because I've had an argument with me misses. So this, this time was different, you know, this time round when shit hit the fan, everyone knew about it. You know, my close friends, people reached out to me and said, look, you know, you can't, you know, people had a different attitude. They was like, you know, cause when I go off the rails, I go. And um, so this time around, it's been a little bit different. I mean, there's, I'm not going to lie. There's, two or three close friends of mine that I just, we just don't talk now. We just can't because, well, they've got no interest in me because I don't drink. That's the only thing we had in common. There's a handful of people that I know I probably won't, won't see unless yeah. I don't know. It's a funeral or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. There but are then, casualties though, Dan, because you align differently, mate. And, and that's life, you know, yeah. it is life. And it, and it's part of sobriety that you got got, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've lost friends that I, well, I thought were friends and then I realized they were not and that's okay. Cause I've made a load of new friends that I trust and respect and that, and what they say is valid because they're not pissed all the time and forgotten what they say. Do you know what I mean? How bad was your, was you an everyday drink or was you just weekend out with a lads drinker? Uh,
1: yeah, I didn't really drink in a week at home. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, that's the weird thing. I could, I could take or leave a beer at home. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't necessarily. I mean, I used to a lot when I lived when I lived with my mates, uh, when I lived with my mates, which I did for years, we'd have a bottle of wine a night and all that stuff. But the last like few years or three or four years, I didn't, I it was, it was um, special occasions and weekend blowouts. And, and and not all of them were bad. Do you know what I mean? Like some weekends, well, they'd go, they'd go, we'd go along with no problems. You know what I mean? And it, it'd just be a few drinks, but some weekends it'd be drink and, and drugs and there'd be no problems. But at least once a month, there was drink, drugs and problems. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I was just emotionally and mentally never recovering during the week. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I try and say that a lot to people, you know, that I, I wasn't, I, I don't think I was alcohol or drug dependent at all. I think that, uh, but, but I was uh, at weekends. Do you know what I mean? Thursday and Friday would come. That's that's where the Sesh Gremlin character comes from because it's really fucking real, and I still feel it now. I still get the triggers now. Like the only difference is my weeks don't stop and start; they just roll through. Do you know what I yeah. mean?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
1: But but I, I but but trust me, I still feel it now. It's Wednesday now, so I'm alright. Thursday it was. It depends on where I am and what I'm doing and what I see. But if I go into the city or anywhere near a Thursday and a Friday, I fucking feel it, and I want to get fucked still.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah. you went to a big event the other night, didn't you? Yeah. Like the night before we met, I think. Uh, yeah. And those kind of things are full of booze and that. Did you, did you have triggers there?
1: Yeah. I think obviously I was quite emotional in our podcast, wasn't I? And I think something, something had, I think maybe I'd, uh, maybe I've stopped taking uh, the journey so seriously because I'm, I'm, I'm working so much on, you know, I'm sober, sober, sober. And I'm like, we were saying, and, uh, there was a few things that annoyed me at that event. Um, yeah. like, for instance, someone, another famous person, uh, was, was really drunk and, um, was getting, was over by the thing getting pictures. And I was just standing there looking and he came over and he was like, don't be so fucking judgmental. And, um, I got the ump with it because he was prodding me a little bit. And I just said to him, don't, don't problem me and don't call me judgmental, mate. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not just, and he's like, just because you're sober. And I said, listen, it ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? But that wound me up. And then, and then, because he was high as well. And then, uh, then he obviously rethought about what he was doing. Then he was hanging off me, sorry, and, and all that. And then all the other people in there that were fucking drinking and stuff, I guess, I guess what it really was, was the ones that were standing out, well, were, we're still nowhere near the level I used to get to. So I think I was looking and going. I was looking around and going because there were some really important people there that actually I got invited there by, like the director, uh, the writer of the film um, that I'm hoping to do some work with. You know, and I had a really intelligent conversation with him about how it was shot and how he wrote the script and how he come up with the characters. And a part of my heart broke when I saw everyone getting drunk because I thought, look at all of the opportunities and all of the fucking nights that people in this industry that I've been to in all these years must have looked over and gone, what a fucking twat because that, that event and that scenario and being in that place meant one thing to me. I'm celebrating baby. Like let's drink and let's do drugs. Look at where I am on it. And it just broke my heart. I think. I know, me-
0: mate, I can really relate to that. Like that. I, I think about it a lot, like I, just to clarify, when we say on the podcast, when you got upset. I was on your podcast the other day in London when I, Uh, and we had a brief chat beforehand, um, about emotional sobriety. Uh, and then in your podcast, I compared, um, alcohol to being in a relationship, didn't I? And then when you leave that relationship by alcohol, you have to go through a grieving period. And something I said there really triggered you off, didn't it?
1: Yeah. I couldn't control my tears then. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, And it was fascinating. Um, because I quite often talk in my coaching about the grieving period that not a lot of people
1: go through. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I actually, did, I actually did a video on it. I don't know if you saw. I done a video on my. Ha, have a look. I done a video about it when I got home that day. I got home and I was overwhelmed, and I wanted to talk about it. So I got a camera and I done a video and I put it actually on my Menace to Sobriety thing and said that you know what happened and it really did. You know, once I'd had time to process everything that had happened because it's very weird when you start crying, but you don't understand why you're crying. It's like your body, it's like your body and your, it's like, like you said, it's like, it's under a crust and it just, you know, it's like, I don't know. You don't know, you know, our our body, our body and our mind and everything, even though we're not conscious of it, is very aware of the damage and stuff, I think. And yeah, and and where the pain comes from. And, um, And
0: we're also really resilient people when we drink, right? We're very strong people um, high achievers a lot of the time. And what we do um, is we what I was saying to you on your podcast was that I I created another role as Sober Dave. So I've gone from Glugsy, the the boozer, to David Carbit on 6 Minute Makeover. Now all of a sudden I'm Sober Dave and I'm ranting and raving about sobriety and I'm doing talks in schools and I'm doing this, that, and whatnot, right? And what that does, it covers over the cracks of actually how I'm really feeling yeah. about all these emotions that it's left me stripped bare, yeah. right? And I'm obviously hiding them still because I'm doing all this stuff. So I'm keeping busy to avoid my emotions. And I think you saw that in you is that, you know, you've created your amazing podcast, Melissa uh YouTube channel, and, and this is your thing now. And it's like, actually, have I sat in a room on my own for half an hour in the dark and thought about how I feel about it. And that's
1: what happens when you do. It's like, I think, yeah, it was. Yeah. I think, oh God. Well, first of all, the clarity from sobriety is a great thing, but also it's horrible to, to, to to think, to be able to think clearly about how you behaved and, and, and some of the stuff you did for me, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm a different person. Like my, honestly, my wife now I've, I've got, I've got a completely different woman. My wife, I mean, she's out now. Um, but my wife, the way that she talks to me and about me is complete is a way that I don't think I've ever heard before because she's got a different, completely different person. And it's nice, but it breaks my heart. But I think the reason why I got upset, well, it wasn't even about all of that. What I got upset about was, and this has caused a little bit of controversy on my, on my video that I said because I I said those things that you said, I said that I spoke to you and, you know, you compared it to, you know, losing a friend, a friend that was there for you, you know, when you wanted to celebrate a friend that was there for you when uh, you were feeling down or lost, the friend that was comforted you. And there was other, obviously there's a lot of addicts or alcoholics or people that are battling on on my channel and they're like, it's not a friend, it's your worst enemy. But what I understood from that and connected from it so much is, you know, a sense of me that's gone now. And that, that that if I want to stay on this path, we'll never come back. And, and the sadness that I have, maybe the sadness, maybe a mixture of the sadness that I have over never being able to experience them things again, but also how deluded I was that it was a good thing. You know, I don't know. Yeah,
0: it's interesting what you said, though, about that event, right? And you feel really, really sad and um, regretful about how you behaved in the past. Yeah. And then you come on ten minutes late like, to say, you know, I'm sad that I'm not gonna be that person again. Yeah, so it's, it's about well, putting it in That's the truth. You know I mean? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Right. And and what those people said about it's not your friend. Of course it's not your friend, but we believe it as our friend because yeah, that's a better way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, we be we, we and, and you've just done that. Yeah. Which is yeah, interesting, right. right? Because you forget. Actually, it's like yeah, I know, but you know, I always compared to being with a narcissist or something that actually you always look at the best after a while. You, you become sober, right? And then the fading bias effect—you start to remember the good things rather than the bad things, right? And that's why you probably went back and thought, "I'll have a couple of beers at Christmas," because you forget all the anxiety, all the mental health problems, all the hangovers. Your wife saying, "I don't know, who I got here." Um, you know, your kids in despair, you forget all that. And you remember the piss ups with the lads and, and the high. Right. Yeah. So a better way of saying it is, is I know it's not my friend, but he felt like my friend at the time, but it's for a very, very short period, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I, I think also, I think it was, I think also it's like the thought of the future in regards to like, how have I become? So how have I become? Uh, so far, like not, not so, but like, how have I become someone that has to work on not drinking? How have I become someone that has to work on how, how has this happened? Like, I know sobriety is such a positive, good thing, but also it's such a shit fucking thing to contemplate for the future. Do you know what I mean? Is this me now? Have I, have I got, uh, am I going to have to, and I'm just, I was talking out loud, but am I going to have to, like, I went out on Saturday night with my friend, um, who gets bang on it and his misses for his missus birthday and a, and a strange couple stranger couple that I didn't know and um oh I've done it for my misses but I said to my misses I like, I ain't staying late and I didn't feel comfortable I'll be honest with you I, I don't feel comfortable sitting in a pub with people and 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 ordering a um alcohol-free beer for the precise reason that everyone around the table was like oh yeah you're sober oh, you're doing really well with your sobriety oh you don't drink oh, that's congratulations how come did it get bad for you yeah yeah and then, yeah. And, then uh, and then one of the girls uh, girl turned up and was like oh um oh i've just had a bump and my mate chris was like fucking hell he's an addict and i'm like thinking to myself you're a fucking addict do you know what i mean you're a fucking addict mate and but anyway all these mixed emotions i still had a good time and but when i was ready and then my missus only had like one or two glasses of wine and i said i want to go and it's the thought of oh, like, is that me now fucking hell that's hard work
0: i i, I get that mate but do you know what you settle into it honestly it's like a career change like so so You've got your fingers in different pies and that. I heard you say about clubs in abroad or beefer and that, and you had an estate agent, you're a comedian on cruise ship. It's about changing lanes and having a different focus in your life, right? And the more time you spend doing it, the more you settle into it. And you more more you kind of adapt to these kind of people, right? And in the end, it it just goes like that over your head, right? And and like for me four years. I've had all that. Like, I overanalyze because a lot of us who've got drinking problems are massive overthinkers. Our brain, as soon as you wake up in the morning, it's like, boom, 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 bomb, bom, bom. like constantly thinking different things, right? But what you do, it, it just calms down and it becomes less of a focus and you settle into this, say, treat like a career, right? This is me without the booze, right? And then you just feel calmer about it, Dan. Honestly, it's what happens,
1: yeah, it's still early days for me. Isn't it? I mean, I'm only what 5 months in and but yeah, and I think you're right. We also spoke about how we hyper focus or like ram loads of more stuff into fill the time. I mean, I I haven't stopped. I'm I'm sure I'm probably burnt out just from getting up every morning boxing from being a dad, from working, and all of that stuff and then doing the sobriety, working on yourself when I, when actually it's probably it's probably a good time to just be like, look, times are good, calm down, relax. <laughs> I said it
0: to you, didn't I, at the tube station last week. I said, right, mate, go on, put your feet up, put your phone away and just chill out. Yeah. Did you? No. You made a video about the podcast <laughs> <laughs> on your channel. Yeah. Made a video <laughs> on it. What did I do that the next
1: day? I was shooting all day the next day. No, it's all good. Look, this is – the. This is the work we're doing, you know. You can't, you can't just, you can't just say you're not going to drink and then just pretend like nothing's happened, you know. Of course get... not,
0: mate. But it, it's, uh, you know, all I'm saying is that keep going with it. You're doing amazing. I mean, that, talk to me about your Facebook group. Like, how many men have you got in that group? I think it's about thirty-five thousand men now, which is yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, it really is. It, 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 it's, it's, it's amazing. But it's also sad that there was such a need for it that it, that it grew so quick. Um, you know, I put it on my Facebook and and like literally remember i was like because because what was happening with me was i was getting um when i first went on my journey it was such i think it was such a big shift from my content and what i was doing because i was such a lad's lad and doing jokes about drinking drugs and i had a beer out on the nightclub do you know what i mean i sold beer i had a nightclub fucking i even made music about the session it was um it was such a change that it caught a lot of people by surprise. But I think it also, a lot of lads were like, yeah, man, I've been waiting to fucking sort my shit out and da, 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 da. And also I was talking, I think what it was, was even the people that couldn't connect with the fact that I wasn't drinking, I was talking about being upset and depressed and being a shit husband and crap to my kids. And I was talking about not wanting to do drugs anymore and drink anymore. And my inbox was filled full of people, on all different about all different things you know about gambling addictions about fucking um parent alienation not being able to see their kids or their missus breaking up with them or feeling depressed suicidal it was fucking intense mate to the point where i couldn't go into my inbox and i felt fucking bad and i was talking about that as well i was like i can't help you man i'm not a professional you know i'm just, just venting and that's where it came about i said we need to talk you obviously all need to talk so i'm going to create this group yeah and I took them right through the journey on my Facebook. I said, what should I call it? And then, you know, suddenly so there was all comments coming down How about men, men and their emotions. Yeah, mates. I was like, great. And I was like, can someone make me a logo? So then all these logos come. So I've got the logo and I create the group. And I've done it while I was on holiday, while I was meant to be off my fucking phone. My missus was going mental. But i done it while I was on holiday, created the group, and then it, they just fucking flooded in. It exploded. In the conversation. But do you know started.
0: what it is, mate? Because they look up to you as a lad's lad, a real geezer, right? And because you were then willing to be honest and open about your own mental health and that, it gave permission for them to do the same. And that's what's brilliant about it, you know. Like on my Instagram, right, 85% of my followers are women, right? That's because men don't want to admit to it. I think they go further down. They don't think there's a problem with it. You know, it's like just a few beards, with the lads, what are you talking about? Or you know, I, I has a couple of beers with a football on a Sunday afternoon and, and it's not, not, I don't think this is my experience of people I talk to. I think men take a bit longer to realize it's a problem.
1: Yeah, I think so. But also I don't even, I don't even think it's denial to a certain extent. It's like, I don't give a shit. Like, because I, I was very much in the attitude as, well, what else have I got? Because I didn't know what sobriety, I didn't know the benefits of sobriety. I didn't know how bad I felt until I felt good. I didn't know, I didn't know that my whole, like I didn't realise, like I used to feel weird when I'd go while, a while without drink, like the clarity, I'd be driving in my car and I'd be like, man, this is actually an all right day. I used to have them <laughs> port and I'd be like, oh yeah, because I ain't been on the piss for about three days. Yeah, you know, but that compounded feeling, you know, the, the lads don't get there. So, it, how are you going to go and say to a man, right, a man that's earning not a great deal of money, but working his absolute tits off, he can't really afford to go on holiday, or, or or and he's getting shit from his family for not providing providing the right things, or maybe his missus has fucking left him. Do you know what I mean? And he's a bit overweight, right? And the only thing he fucking enjoys is getting pissed or taking drugs. Yeah. To house. How are you going to tell him to stop doing that, and his life will get better? That his life will get better. And that's that was my mentality as well. I was like, how's my life going to get better if you're going to take the only thing away from me that I enjoy doing?
0: I really, I really hear that. That's a really good way
1: of putting that as well, isn't it? Yeah. And for me, I'm lucky enough that I had kids, I think, and and um that I and that I almost lost Shelley because, you know, I'm fucking pushed it so many times and I I just some some lads that's why i think we lose so many lads to suicide because by the time they fucking realize what's important it's too late and they can't it. powerful mate
0: so tell me about your podcast right so that come along right i thought i was the number one podcast in the land when it comes to sobriety but you bowled up didn't you um how long's that been going
1: it's done all right it's done i've done uh well uh, two well 12 13 episodes i think you're your one I've moved your one to your one wasn't out for another fucking um series yours was at the end of series three but I've moved it to this week just because oh it, yeah Sunday good. it's out on Sunday just because I don't want to deal with it again <laughs> the little breakdown bit I was like while it's fresh <laughs> get it out get it out yeah so so that would be uh in the
0: past now because this ain't coming out before Sunday so that'll already be out by the time this is Ed um but do you know what, Dan? I really enjoyed that podcast because for me, whatever energy was going on, um, I felt really relaxed talking about myself as well. I think we had a good vibe going on there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I find it difficult not, not jumping in and giving my opinion, but I, with you, I was like the way, cause of the way you talk, maybe the tone of your voice, the way you talk, I was drawn in. So I listened to a lot of the stuff you were saying. I think that's maybe why I got so connected to it. You have a good, you have a good, you have great analogies, great ways of describing things, but yeah, it was good to get to know you. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And you mate. Um, so what does the future look like? Are you just, um, Taking it week by week with this or or is this it do you think
1: well on for sobriety, yeah sobriety's no that's me done that's oh, me good lad. yeah that's me done I mean my uh, there's no way that I could leave a glimmer of maybe if so, if I do this after a while in my mind, no way um, and I needed to i need uh, my attitude with that was, and what I keep on saying over and over in my head is you know I'm not missing out on'm free, so I want to stay free. And, uh, also I, d- there's no way in a million years that, that if I had a drink and that like, it would just be like cheating on, 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 on myself or my missus, really. Yeah. No she, she would, there's no way she's go- She, there's no way she is going to go down that road again. And, and for me, I've got, I don't know. I feel like I've got an opportunity to to fucking get it right with the kids as well. Be a good dad. I've got an opportunity now that, I mean, unless I'm fucking unless i basically, basically, if I don't drink or do drugs, it's going to be all right. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, it. Yeah, 100%, mate.
0: And, and and moving forward, all your opportunities, like you, you hear a lot of the entrepreneurs now don't drink. Yeah, You know, they don't because they need to be sharp. They need the clarity, right? And I think that whole story about that event the other night, when you see all these people, that's literally like holding a mirror up to yourself and looking in that reflection, thinking, Oh my God, that's what I was like. But tonight I spoke to the director, uh, about all this stuff, that really valuable stuff. And I'm going to remember it. And he's going to respect me as well because I was fluent in my conversation. I wasn't an idiot leaping about like Lee Evans, you know, uh, <laughs> And and it's these kind of things you've got to hold on to, not the past. Like, don't hold on, because we're in the present now, and this is a new version. You're going down a new road, and you don't get a single person say they regret being sober. Trust me, you don't yeah.
1: No, yeah, no, I'm 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 i in I'm in it. I, I'm in for the long run. Maybe that's what upset me a little bit, you know. The the road looks long. But to be honest with you when I was out the other night and I was, you know, I was watching Watching them drink, and I, I saw like the little baggie Do you know what I mean? He came back from the toilet, and the little baggy went into his hand. Uh, I, 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 was like, Ugh. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, like I, I, it. Weren't like I was like, I've got to go because I want to do coke. I was like, oh, that's fucking rank. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, so I feel like I, I, I feel like I've connected everything that comes with it. I, it's not like I'm like, oh, the drink and the drugs look nice. I'm like, oh man. Imagine what that what comes with that. But that's what I
0: mean about that last time. You know, the last time you did it was your apprenticeship, your trial run, and then you went back to it and you've learned from that because now you're saying you ain't going back to it. And this yeah. is why anyone that relapses or slips or messes up or whatever, always say, don't look at that as a negative. Look at it as actually part of it because yeah. some people take three, four, ten times to to crack it, but each time, you're learning something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It gets worse and worse when you go back. I think I definitely think it gets worse and worse because you can feel you can, you like, it's all well and good saying, I think you've got a drink problem. You, You can't control what you're doing. It's hard to say that when you're enjoying it for someone to feel that they can't control it. But when they're trying to stop and you really feel that grip, that's when the work really starts. I think. Like, I think that. Like, I think that's when you, you know. And, and the longer you spend away from it, the less of the grip you feel. It's isn't it crazy that this whole conversation that we're having in both of our lives and everything that we're talking about, everything that we've been through, our families, like our like our childhood and everything, and it all boils down to a fucking uh, a drink or a drug, a substance. <clears throat> yeah. that, that it's simply like dopamine addiction, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's simply. It, it's,
0: like, yeah. It's um it's awful, really. I, I I look around at all the like the A-listers like um Bradley Cooper, you know, um that are all like sober, Jamie Lee Curtis, um Brad Pitt, like all it's such a enormous global conversation that oh my god, I'm sober over one drug that is literally Everywhere you look, it's marketed like the clappers wherever you go. Do you know what I mean? It's And you have to justify it every time you say you're not taking that drug. Right, yeah. That's the weirdest thing. You know, like, oh, no, I don't take um, uh, heroin anymore.
1: What? Uh, of yeah, they, they, w- they wouldn't question that.
0: No. Nah. Or, or, no, I gave up the fags. Oh, brilliant, mate. Uh, you know, I, I hate smoke. Like, all that business. Yeah, you say I've stopped drinking. It's like, what, are you mental? Yeah, it's, I mean,
1: like, like a lot of people, a lot of people, um, you know, around me, like, I know there's people around me, like, maybe friends that are kind of like, what are you doing, man? Like, you didn't have a problem. What are you doing? You know, and it was like, i done a podcast with my pal, Callum Baxter, Um, come out last week. And he said, you know, everyone else went home and got on with their lives, but it was still with me, you know what I mean? So, yeah, but look, positive things and... um.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, you say you know people don't think it's a problem. It's when you go home on your own. You know, I work with a lot of women, grey haired drinkers, and that, and and a lot of them, their friends don't know because they don't tell them. You know, they it might be one o'clock, two glasses of prosecco, go home, and some people are going home having a cup of tea, and others are opening another bottle up. You know, it's when it affects you
1: like that. It's a problem, right? Yeah, and for me, for me, there was something weird with the drugs as well. There was, I've heard, I've heard some stuff that. When you mix alcohol and cocaine, it makes like another drug, or 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 it, or it, it has some sort of effect on you. But it was a weird thing that I would I'd go through, and like my business partner Carlos, he talks about it quite a lot in jest when we go out, because very often it over the last couple of years it'd be me and him going to meetings in town, going and doing things in town. And he doesn't take drugs at all. He doesn't take coke. And uh, it would be us going to meetings, perfectly fine meetings. We'd meet up with a few people, dinner and stuff like that. And sometimes I'd go in with him into London and we'd have a meeting and I'd have a couple of glasses of wine or a few beers and that's it. Sometimes we'd go in, I'd have a couple of glasses, a few beers, and I'd get smashed. But sometimes before we've even got in, I'd text him saying I'm getting on it tonight. <laughs> and in my mind, I was I was not happy until I got some cocaine. And yeah. it was like it was like it was there in me. It was like it would pop up and I'd have one or two drinks. And I'm like, right, give me a number, da 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 da, whatever yeah. we And I, I can remember looking like Carlos saying as well a few times, I like, sometimes a switch would just go in you and you're like, I'm getting on it. And that's that I don't know what that is, but I know that there is millions of lads out there right now that they can't have one or two without that switch going and I yeah. just don't understand it. But it, that's a problem. That is a yeah, problem.
0: Absolutely, mate. Look, Dan, it's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you, mate. I feel like I've known you forever. Yeah, um, we, keep, we
1: keep in contact, David, definitely, mate. We keep chatting. 100% mate.
0: And uh, I'm glad my episode's out Sunday. Uh, yeah, I, I am too.
1: Cool. Oh, it, so, it, was, it was such a thing. I, just, I rang him straight away and I said, I want that one out next week. One, because I didn't want to wait for it and go through that again even though it wasn't so bad, but you know what I mean? I just want to get yeah. with it. And, but, um, but also because there was just so much gold in it, mate, so much nuggets of information and your analogies. And I think that's the key thing about these podcasts. One little thing that one of us might say, someone might go, that's fucking, I get that. Oh, an sh- yeah. yeah.
0: It's the seed isn't it. It plants it in there. And, and it's that thing. If these podcasts can help people identify to so maybe they got a bit of a problem, that's why they're worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. 100% man and uh, it's so lovely to uh, have you on my podcast Dan keep doing what you're doing mate spreading the word uh, and I'll get to see you soon I alright
1: mate thank you very much we good chat- lad
0: bye, bye mate. mate I really hope you enjoyed the show today
1: don't forget to
0: subscribe and leave a review for further support you can buy my book One For The Road on Amazon and you can also follow me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.